You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, June 7, 2022. Later in the program, Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education, walks through what student loan forgiveness would look like as President Joe Biden faces pressure to eliminate at least some of the $1.6 trillion in student loan debt in the United States. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Bloomington City Council continued their discussion about the vacation of the alleyway behind the Johnson Creamery building. That's coming up next in your local headlines. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on June 1st, Founder and executive director of My Sister's Closet, Sandy Keller, received the 2022 Human Rights Award. Keller was nominated by staff members and individuals who she has helped in the store for her work in the community. Keller said a few words after receiving her award. I live in an amazing community. A community that allows me to thrive and do something that I feel like makes a difference to other people. When a woman comes into my sister's closet, she often lacks the courage to move forward, and she has had so many messages throughout her life that no matter what she does, it does not make a difference. And between all the women and all the men who volunteer and the community members who are there to show that that is not the case, we always prove to these people who come before us that this community cares, and that her life and the lives of her children matter, and that we do believe that it's possible that we can help her make small changes so that she can make a difference in the lives and the lives of her children. We know that it's possible because we have seen so many do it, and when they didn't have the courage in so many ways, and they are thanking us for the things they cannot believe that we are giving them as tools to move them forward. One of the things that we say, which we truly believe, is that the hopes and dreams of all the women who wore these clothes and who have given them to you are embedded into the threads and fibers of what you are now wearing. And when you go out on that interview and you ask for that job, you are carrying all of us with our hopes and dreams with you, and we believe that you could win. And we think that this is a win-win thing because when anyone in our community moves out of poverty and finds sustainable employment and is able to be a better parent, then all of us in our community win. And I am just honored to receive this, and, and I work with the best people in the world, so many of them that are here right now. Thank you, thank you very much. And thank you to my husband, Ben. <laughs> The council continued their discussion about the vacation of the alleyway behind the Johnson Creamery building. The petitioner, Peerless Development, needs the right-of-way of the alley to continue their work on the site. 
The city has been working on negotiations with them because the land is public property, and to vacate it, the decision must be in the interest of the public. Corporation Council Beth Kate suggested to the council that Peerless pay for the installation of artwork on the Johnson Creamery building to memorialize the historic nature of the smokestack. Peerless Development, however, does not want to have to pay the city for the alley vacation, saying that they don't have the funds and that they weren't aware that the alley hadn't already been vacated by the city when they started their site plans. Corporation Council Beth Kate explained that if the decision on the alley vacation is delayed, it would have a cascade effect on other issues. Council Member Dave Rollo asked if affordable housing had been considered in the negotiations. Director of Planning and Transportation Scott Robinson answered, explaining that the city is not allowed to force a development to have affordable housing in the city and can only incentivize it. Uh, Indiana has made it very clear that you cannot require inclusionary zoning. It's, It's state law. So any planning process, planning requirements, we cannot require affordable housing as part of that. Um... Now, the question that Council Member Rollo asked is part of the alley vacation. No, um, that is, as I think, as uh, Corporation Council Kate has mentioned, it's pretty discretionary up to Council in that consideration. So I, I can't speak to the legality of that um, negotiation and that requirement. I will say that the petitioner uh, has worked with staff, um, which uh, Mr. Grulick did not uh, maybe mention in his presentation, um, they are leveraging the sustainability incentives with their project, and that, that's something that they uh, voluntarily chose to do um, as opposed to voluntarily choosing to do the affordable housing uh, incentives in the UDO. Um, so that's the way it's structured um, in dealing with that, and so hopefully that answers your question, Councilmember Raleigh. Councilmember Isabel Piedmont-Smith asked if there would still be a connection between the B-Line and the alley. Petitioner Michael Cordero responded. We do have a pedestrian connection um, a little bit north of the of the alley, uh, but located within the new development. Uh, there is a, uh, a sidewalk or a walkway that would connect uh, to basically right up to the B line. I don't think we, we quite touch it um, because it brings in uh, a new set of areas uh, or of complications, but goes right up to it and then connects uh, to eight. During public comment, Bloomington resident Greg Alexander said that although he doesn't support peerless development, he does want to have more housing options in Bloomington. I hate Kroger uh, for two reasons, how they treat their customers and how they treat their staff. Um, They're just here to make a buck. They don't give a crap about Bloomington. They don't care about us. Um, But don't get me wrong. I go twice a week. I've given them $20,000 in the last 15 years. I need Kroger. They're here to make a buck by providing an essential service. Um, if you all started working against Kroger, if you buried them in red tape, if they had to, to give you a quarter million dollars just for something that they've already been using, um, that would harm me. If you managed to chase them away, if you managed to get them to give up, um, nobody else is going to open another grocery store given that kind of business climate, and that's going to harm me. That would be awful for me. I don't love Kroger, but I need them, and I need essential businesses downtown. So I've been asked, why do I have sympathy for Peerless? And the the answer is I don't. They can jump in a lake. I don't care. But they're here to make a buck by providing an essential service. And if uh, they came to the city and said, I want to turn housing for cars into housing for people, 
That is something I want to see happen. It's something our plans say you guys want to see happen. Why did you vote for the UDO if you didn't believe in it? So, you know, the alley should be considered on its transportation and accessibility merits. Will we ever use that right of way? Will we ever demolish that smokestack connected through the B line? Will we, the same alley runs through the parking lot right here. Are we gonna clear a path through the parking lot? Obviously not, that's already been discussed. So we're perfectly fine with letting the alley be blocked, slides is blocked by private parking and a useless smokestack that's just nothing but a hazard and a toxic dump. But if we were to block that alley with housing, oh my goodness, stop the presses. Vacate the alley without conditions. Don't let historic preservation add arbitrary costs to housing development. Don't burden the future tenants with that cost. Let them build 77 bedrooms in our walkable downtown. Thank you for your time. The council voted to postpone their decision until June 15th or until Peerless Development receives a response from their title company. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on June 8th. President Joe Biden campaigned on a plan to forgive at least some of the $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. He's now facing pressure to follow through on that campaign promise. President Biden has forgiven almost $19 billion of student debt through existing loan forgiveness programs, and he has placed several extensions on the pandemic moratorium on student loan payments. However, his campaign promise to forgive up to $10,000 per person of federal student loans has yet to come. Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education, walked through how we got here when it comes to the student debt crisis in the United States. I mean, man, do you have to go back to, I believe it was the Lyndon Johnson administration, so before my time, but back then it was a way to provide access to higher education for anybody that couldn't afford it. And so you had student loan debt that was part of it. You know, people took the money out in order to pay for school. Back then, school wasn't as expensive. So it seemed like a pretty good way to go about things. And over the course of the years, like student loans, they've continued. And as, as we all know, sort of schools have gotten more expensive over the course of time. And so those loans haven't been able to accommodate the cost of college as well as they once did. And so now students are having to take out more loans, both on the federal side and the private side of things in order to get their college degree, or I should say, in order to try and achieve their college degree. Because in some cases, unfortunately, people take out student debt and don't get their college degree. It's still up in the air whether or not Biden will forgive any student debt. Schumann debated on the number of ways the president could forgive at least part of student loan debt. I mean, there are a few different ways. I mean, I think the one that we're probably we're most familiar with is the idea that we could be taking like a certain amount of dollars away from student loans. So, you know, there's, I think initially it was $10,000 and then $50,000 and now we're back to $10,000 and you've got a whole other slattering of people that are just saying like all these different numbers in between. Some are calling for just all student loans to be forgiven. And then, you know, we've also heard about like tar uh, targeting loan forgiveness in terms of income. And I think $125,000 household income is sort of the number that's being floated around right now that people that make that amount of money or less could have X number of dollars forgiven. A partisan divide exists concerning student loan forgiveness. Schumann weighed the pros and cons, politically speaking, for Joe Biden to consider eliminating at least some student debt. 
I mean, the pro, obviously, and I think a lot of people know this now, is just that if you were to forgive the, the loan debts, like it's a gift to the people that, you know, took out college student debt. And, you know, it could be a $10,000 gift. It could be more than that. And if you feel so inclined, like, oh, I'm so thankful to you, Joe Biden, forgive me this, I'm going to give you my vote in return. I think that's sort of where a lot of things uh, or a lot of people think this is all going to fall. I sort of like I could understand that viewpoint, but I also know that there's a lot of other things happening in the world right now aside from just student debt. So I don't know if it's just going to be a uh, like just a trade off. I will forgive loans. You give me vote. I think there's going to be a lot of things that happen here, but I can understand sort of like the the myopic view of that, of how it just it looks like that's what's happening here. I mean, I think I think there's two pieces. Number one, it's just the. I, I think it holds that like the conservative viewpoint of of liberals sort of holds there that this is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to give out uh, free money or whatever you want to say. And so that holds true. That gives them a little bit more of attacking points. I think the other piece and, you know, we're sort of seeing this right now in the economy is that, you know, if loans are forgiven, it puts more money back into the pockets of Americans. And I have to make sure I caveat by saying like, cool, like that's 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 great. Like more people will have the ability to afford the things that they need on a regular basis, which is fantastic. However, if more money is in people's pockets, there's going to be more money that people can spend on things. And we're seeing this right now where inflation is higher than we have seen it in quite some time. And it's because people feel like they have more money in their pockets right now because the like student loan moratorium is a part of this. When we got the stimulus checks at the beginning um, and throughout the pandemic, that was another piece that was pumping more money back into the economy. And again, like that's not to say that those things were bad, but it's just it's the nature of of the beast where all of this money caused inflation because of just the law of economics there. And so therefore, like if Biden were to forgive the loans, it's possible that the like our inflation will continue to go up. It may stay the same, but it's probably not going to go down. And so the political ramifications there are it could be that inflation gets worse and that would not go over well with a lot of people. Tuition at public colleges and universities were often free or at least more affordable decades ago. Schumann explained why the cost of college has skyrocketed over the years in his view. Colleges have become sort of a world unto themselves at this point, right? Like if you come to Indiana University, which is where I work, like we have an entire ecosystem that, you know, is remarkable. And we've, we've joked about it before in our office before, like we're our own sort of like separate world. I mean, if you go up the like if you go up to the University of Notre Dame, literally they are their own town, sort of embedded within South Bend. They have their own zip code, all of that kind of stuff. And it's you've be we've created these own little worlds that you know support students. Like they're their own again sort of ecosystem where we have ways to support students, not just academically, but also in how they're living and the services to get them. Like now we're talking like mental health needs and their physical needs and all of that kind of stuff. And with each thing that you add on there, there's going to be an increase in cost. Um, so you've got that piece where just more, I would say almost more is demanded of each university to provide for their students to make sure that they're taken care of while they're in school. You've also got like for a public institution like Indiana University, like over the course of the last, I don't know, couple decades or so, like you've seen steady decreases in the amount of state funding that's been given to these institutions. Like, in, you know, in the past, like the amount of money that was given to each public university by the state was more than what it, what it is now. And so therefore, the universities have to offset the cost somehow. And the way to do that is to drive up more revenue, which means you have to drive up the cost of college in order to support that. So that's another piece behind it as well. 
And I mean, like, to me, that's like, that's sort of it. There's just this sort of interplay between those two things. But I think this is one of the things a lot of people have been talking about as it relates to loan forgiveness is, cool, we can forgive student loan forgiveness, and that would be great. However, that doesn't solve the problem of rising tuition. Like, what can we do to prevent us from getting back here in another 10 to 20 years time? Schumann broke down how lowering the overall cost of college plays into the conversation about eliminating student debt at the source rather than simply snipping off student debt. It's going to have to take a reimagining of what higher education is. And that's not to say that like it's going to completely shift, you know, what we're accustomed to and things along those lines, but I do think we have to figure out like what is higher education? What what do we want higher education to be? I mean, we've seen some conversations about like different institutions going after like specific trades and not just like doing the, you know, the four we'll say the traditional four-year experience, although the word traditional is sort of becoming less used at this point. But I think that's one of the conversations. Like, do we need to provide this holistic education or do we just want to say like, hey, you you want to come in and you want to, I don't know, major in business, you want to get a business degree, something along those lines. Do these other courses, do they matter? Or is it just the business stuff that we need to focus on? I, I've heard that floated as a potential solution, but there are a lot of other ones. I mean, it could just be that like we get an increase in state support at this point, or like we get the government feeling like an investment in education is important. But I also think we need to make sure as it relates to student loans, that we're also having honest conversations with people coming out of high school to figure out what it is they want to be doing. There was a good intention behind the idea of everybody should go to higher education. And I think that it should be twisted a little bit just to say like, everybody who wants to go into higher education should be able to go to higher education. Anybody who wants to go into a trade school should be able to go into a trade school. And I think if we start having those conversations about making sure that people are going to the place where they're most interested and not feeling like college has to be the next step, that there are other avenues for them, I think that's also going to help out the student loan piece. Experts debate how eliminating some student debt would impact the overall economy. Schumann walked through some of the economic implications of student loan forgiveness. Yeah, so we talked about the, like, the economic impact in terms of if you forgive it, inflation is likely to stay where it's at or go up a little bit more. So that's not great. But for you know the families who are disadvantaged by having student loan debt, and again, we're not necessarily talking about people with college degrees. We're talking about people who started to get their college degree and then for whatever reason had to, to back out of doing it. They have a lot of student debt. And right now, their ability to move up in society in order to achieve some sort of economic prosperity might be hindered by the fact that they just have this, quite honestly, like maybe marginal student loan balance. Like I think there was a stat where most of the people who defaulted on student loans, the dollar amount that they had was less than $10,000. It wasn't like all these people with exorbitant amounts of debt. It was people at the 10000 or below level because they went to college, took out some student loans and couldn't finish. And if they had that loan balance forgiven, it sort of gives them a start over. It gives them a chance to sort of, you know, move themselves forward. At that point, it doesn't negatively affect their credit, which would be awesome because then that allows them opportunity if they're making money to potentially, you know, apply to buy a house or a car or achieve some sort of way of getting an asset that could help increase their overall net worth. And so I think that would be a huge piece to the, to the economy if we're able to pull that off. And, you know, at that point, like, at least to me, like inflation would just be what it is because it would be this forgiveness would support so many people in their ability to try and move up and again achieve economic prosperity. 
As an expert in the field, given the opportunity, Schumann discussed the ideal solution in his view for the student debt crisis we see ourselves in today. I mean, what I do know is that I'm I'm in favor of forgiveness uh, to to some extent. Um, as a person who had business school loans, as the spouse of somebody that had law school loans, and a little bit of undergraduate degree, and I and I will say too, like we had some support on the undergraduate side from my parents, so it wasn't just completely us. But like the bulk of the hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt came from us. That feeling when we had that feeling when we paid off those loans, the feeling when that balance went down to zero was one of the best feelings that I've had. And if you look on Twitter right now, you see people who've had like their loans forgiven through whatever means, public service loan forgiveness, or just some, you know, authorization from the federal government. You see people celebrating that and feeling like they got their lives back. I want other people to have that feeling too. I don't care about the fact that I invested, you know, $100,000 or whatever of my money over the course of the years in order to pay off those loans. I would love people to have that experience and be able to have sort of like a similar life path that I've had or the life path that they want and not be hindered by student loans. How much I would forgive, I don't know, but I know I would be in the camp of forgiveness. And I think I would look at the, at the debt of, like, of the people that have to, uh, the average default balance and the average undergraduate balance and all of that kind of stuff and figure out what is going to make the most sense here. And quite honestly, in my sense, again, I'm not giving like a specific answer, but I think I would be more lenient than strict on it just because I feel like that's probably where we are at at this point is just to be a little bit more forgiving on the side of things. I would like us to go back to being a little bit more empathetic to everybody's situation because I think over the course of the last couple of years, things have gotten a little little off. So that, that's what I would say. And then too, on as part of that as well, really having conversations about how to fix like what we've got going on here. So that way, again, we don't come into this situation again in another 10 to 20 years. Meanwhile, Biden's extension of the pandemic era moratorium on student loan payments expires on August 31st. Biden is expected to make a decision on whether or not to forgive some of the student loan debt that burdens over 40 million Americans. Up next, in this month's edition of the Brown County Hour, Dave Seastrom interviews Maggie Sullivan from Friends of Lake Monroe about some upcoming events. We now turn to that segment. It is my pleasure to introduce Maggie Sullivan, who is the Lake Monroe Watershed Coordinator, and she's here to talk about a community forum that you all are sponsoring. Thanks for having me. We're actually sponsoring three community forums this spring. We're having one in Bloomington, one in Nashville, and one virtually for people who want to attend from the comfort of their own home. So I was mostly going to talk tonight about the one here in Nashville. We'll be at the Public Library on June 9th from 6.45 to 8.30 p.m. And the goal with these forums is for us to reveal the newly completed Lake Monroe Watershed Management Plan. 
And this is a plan that talks about water quality in the lake and also in all of its tributaries, many of which are in Brown County. So that includes Salt Creek, uh, Greasy Creek, Owl Creek, Nawbone Creek, Sweetwater Creek. I could go on. But uh, a lot, about three quarters of Brown County eventually drains into Lake Monroe. And so anything that uh, is on the ground in the Lake Monroe watershed can get washed into the streams when it rains and ends up in the lake. So a lot of our study is about water quality in the lake and the streams and what we can do to improve it. Well, there you go. And, and this is all under the auspices of Friends of Lake Monroe, is that correct? Yeah, Friends of Lake Monroe is the nonprofit that has organized the development of this plan and then the forums we're doing in partnership with the League of Women Voters. So we're very grateful for the League of Women Voters of Brown County for helping us organize and find the space and get the word out. Excellent. So time and location. 6.45 to 8.30 p.m. on June 9th in the Brown County Public Library. In one of the uh, meeting rooms? Yeah, the down, big downstairs meeting room. Okay, excellent. Okay. Oh, yes, yeah. WFHB. Yeah, that's right. So tell us about the Bloomington event. So our first forum will be in Bloomington. It'll be on May 24th, which is next Tuesday. And we will be in St. Thomas Lutheran Church, which is on East 3rd Street. Again, it'll be from 6.45 to 8.30 p.m. So we'll talk a little bit about the watershed management plan, answer questions. And then we're asking for feedback from the community on how we can engage the community in making this plan a reality, getting people to take action, doing things like taking care of their septic systems, planting trees along creeks, doing everything they can to prevent soil, exposed soil from getting washed into our lake. This sounds absolutely excellent. Uh, I assume you all have a website that we can visit for more information and the Zoom connection for the Zoom meeting? Mm -hmm. For more information, you can visit friendsoflakemonroe.org. And on our events page, we have all that information. Thank you so much for coming in, Maggie, and sharing this information. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Kate Young. The Brown County Hour is produced by Chuck Wills. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio. 
a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 